Hello, this is Caleb Keith, the director of the 1517 Podcast Network, with an important announcement from the network to you. During the month of June, your favorite podcasts from 1517 are going to be participating in a podcast fundraiser. During this time, we are seeking to raise $50,000 for the 1517 Podcasts. The 1517 Podcast Network has created free gospel-centered content for over five years. We have new episodes of our 19 podcasts coming out every day of the week, and we never fill them with ads or place them behind a paywall. That's why this June, we're asking listeners across our shows to support 1517 and the teachers and creators behind your favorite theological resources. Your support directly impacts our ability to build and maintain podcast content that was listened to over 6 million times last year alone. Thank you to the listeners who enjoy and share our podcast, and a special thanks to those who financially support our shows. We hope that you consider supporting this podcast and the rest of the network during our June fundraiser. And again, that goal is $50,000. One of the easiest ways you can help is by signing up for a monthly reoccurring donation. All you have to do is follow the support this show link at the top of the show notes or go to 1517.org slash donate dash podcasts to support your favorite shows. Again, we appreciate your support. Enjoy this episode of your favorite 1517 podcast. Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend, the Dr. Michael Berg, and we are recording our third episode of the day. That is how much we love you all. Um, We are going to have a very busy June. A lot of us, uh, the three of us, will be out of the state or um, taken with other tasks for much of June. And so we are trying to work ahead on a nice, um, what you call today, balmy Mm-hmm. It's about 90 uh, degrees but, uh, here but in Milwaukee. windy. Yeah, and we are on the third floor where we don't get the benefit of the wind or breeze. And so uh, we started the last episode with the air on, and then about 14 minutes in, I turned it off because I thought, I think I'm hearing it. Sure. And then um, I turned it back on before we were done because I'm fat and sweaty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we're starting with it on. We may turn it off if it gets distracting. Hopefully it won't be coming off too much. But we, uh, we've had three episodes that I think are kind of building off each other. Um, the first we recorded, which you hopefully already listened to by now, um, is on Pentecost and Holy Trinity and what's happening with those days. The second is uh, we mark those days on a Sunday. What's going on with Sunday? What is Sunday for? We had a Sabbath talk, Easter talk, feast talk. Mike got a little feisty, but it was good. And uh, now we're going to be talking about something uh, as we talked about Sunday, Mike talked about Sunday being all about getting from God, and then worship is really what happens the other six days yeah. um, through our vocations. And we're going to be talking uh, in this session then, the last episode kind of touched on Mike's book on any given Sunday. This is going to somewhat maybe touch on another book of Michael's, the vocation book, is the setting for human flourishing. 
Um, but it's sparked by an, a very nice email that we got by a very thoughtful listener from Germany. Um, and in discussing some things, it was brought up, uh, the terms in English, kind of human flourishing and the economy of God's love can be kind of hard to translate. Or even, I think, to be fair, even un- difficult for many to understand in English. I know often in theology I'll mention human flourishing. And students, thankfully, will be honest and say, I don't know yeah. what that means. Yeah. Um, maybe some think like our founding father, their mind goes to our founding fathers and life, liberty, and the the pursuit of, of happiness. But we're going to be talking about what do we mean, and specifically, and I plan to let Mike talk plenty in this episode, what does Michael mean when he's talking about human flourishing and the economy of God's love? What, what does it mean for you, assuming you're a human being listening? If you got like a dog with you, hey, hey boy, you're a good boy. Um, let the bird fly. Let the bird fly. Loves you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, so, but especially we're talking to human beings. Is that fair to say, Michael? Yeah. Because it's human flourishing. Well, and you, and you ask the question is, uh, first question to ask is, why do you even want to flourish? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so give that dog a treat. Uh-huh. He's a good boy. He's listening to let the bird fly. Or she. Um, but uh, what does it mean for a human being to flourish? Let the Bird Fly is a podcast of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org, see all the good stuff they have going on there. I encourage you to go there. Check it out. Click around a bit. Explore, as they say, um, and you will find lots of resources. Um, Also, as we've been mentioning, Jason and I will be leading an 11-day Germany tour. Um, The Experience the Cradle of the Reformation, May 13th through 23rd of 2024. You can go to letthebirdfly.com. Click on Germany Trip 2024. You can find out all the information there. Uh, We're getting registrations coming in. They're coming in pretty steady. If you get yours in by uh, July 13th, you will get a discount on that, but I encourage you, if you think you'd like to go, to reach out soon. Um, think about registering while there are still spaces for that. And then finally, haven't said in a while, but if you've been enjoying the podcast, as always, we appreciate if you would rate, if you would review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's where a lot of people listen. It's super helpful. Rate, review, subscribe, so you automatically get them when they come out. Um, you can share our stuff on Facebook and on Twitter. On social media, check out Mike on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, and uh, we very much appreciate you sharing things that way as well. Oh, okay. Um, and lest we go too long with these intros, we're trying to keep the episodes we're doing today so much short. Michael, would you mind giving us our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because well as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends. And don't let us get in the way. brings us to our main topic. I apologize to our listeners if uh, if I'm a bit 
a bit coffee for this episode. Uh, my allergies have been going nuts again for some reason. Stuff is blowing in the air. Oh, all People over. People are mowing their pollen, lawns. Pollen everywhere. And, uh, and so I apologize. My cough is getting worse as the day goes on. I am trying to mute myself when I do it, but I know I come through Mike's mic a bit. We're going to be talking about then human flourishing and the economy of God's love. And if I can just um, frame a bit, and then I'm going to throw it to Michael and we're going to spend most of our time listening to Michael, which is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, so human flourishing, when it usually comes up first uh, in my ethics class, Michael, the concept when I'm discussing it with the students, uh, it comes up at the beginning of the classical philosopher section. Uh, you mentioned um, before, maybe in the previous episode, um, or maybe that was as we were getting ready to do this episode, the Greeks, and it comes up in discussion of the Greeks as you get what happens in early Greek philosophy is largely a discussion about what is the, the good life. Yeah. What's the highest good in life? What's the meaning? And uh, Aristotle especially will use this word, oidaimonia, to have good spirits. We get the word demon from it, but this isn't yeah. meant to sound deni- uh, demonic. Um, but somewhat connected to that, many texts discussing Aristotle will talk about then um, to have oidaimonia, which for Aristotle is happiness. And for him, happiness is tied to doing virtue yeah. naturally, being habituated to it. Well, that is the good life, and that is human flourishing. Yeah. Um, so where this is, I would say, human flourishing, as I understand, and you can correct me, Michael, is not a, it's not a, a term that Christian theology has any exclusive ownership rights for. Um, maybe in biblical terms, if we're thinking uh, the equivalent of the classical philosophers of the Bible, if we're thinking Moses, um, maybe uh, Job and others, maybe this would be framed um, in the Hebrew concept of shalom. Um, sometimes we take shalom and we just take it to mean peace, and then we just take peace to mean the absence of conflict. And we miss a lot of what's going on there. But maybe if we could start then, uh, as we talk about human flourishing, could you give us, and I don't mean like a, a one-sentence definition, but a feel for mm-hmm. what we mean by human flourishing in like the general sense that it's been used by Christian and non-Christians alike, mm-hmm. philosophers. Um, or you could take someone like a Buddha who's it's kind of religious, it's kind of philosophy, founding fathers, but also the scriptures. And then if we were to narrow it down, which, if you can give us a sense for what you mean when you're using it theologically as a Christian. Yeah. Um, let me go backwards, right? Let me, like usually I, I say uh, shalom, this Hebrew context, and then, you know, it depends how you pronounce it, like the, the English word, you know, if we make it English, eudaimonia, right? Um, anytime you see E-V or E-U, uh, that's a Greek word that it means good, euphoria. Right. So it right? can mean like... Euthanasia, which is not yeah, a great yeah. word, but that's supposed to mean good death. But then yeah. evangelical, good news. Angelos, oi, Angelos, good news. So good the message, EU yeah. is supposed to be good. And so the good spirits, right? The daimonia, the, the, the demon, the spirits, good spirits. Um, translated good life, often translated as uh, happiness. And so this is where we get life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We should, by the way, do an episode sometimes on diphthongs. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's essentially with pronunciations, whatever. That's what we're wrestling with is right. 
It's diphthong. I so when I I was doing grad work and I pronounced it like like a good German would pronounce a Greek word. That my California professor said, "Oh, that's very that's very uh, German and Midwest of you." Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> when I think about happiness. Today, I think about it in a hedonistic way, and what I mean by that is a feeling uh, uh, that is uh, try to give as much pleasure and the least amount of pain. Now, hedonism is a whole other word that, that gets mis- mistranslated. We think about it as like sexual debauchery. And this is not something that is purely modern or Western. I mean, you have, for instance, um, uh, the... Uh, Epicureans, yeah. who are going to wrestle with this. But the West, um, post-Enlightenment, really doubles down yeah. on this. Yeah. So, uh, which for the, the Epicureans probably would be very moderate. Right, it's Don't what everyone thinks is a Bible verse. Yeah. It isn't. Yeah. Everything in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you they know. They kind of get a bad rap, because later, like, everybody will be like, oh, you're an Epicurean sow. Yeah. 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 And they, it makes it sound like they're always just... Right, you know, going overboard. Right, but they're not. In right. fact, their message would be not to watch go out for that. Yeah, right? because they understand that gluttony does not too much pleasure brings pain. Right. So anyway, so when we when our when our American forefathers talked about the pursuit of happiness, they were not talking about the pursuit of a feeling. Which, if you do that, you never win. You will always be pursuing. You never think about am I? You never ask the question, "Am I happy right now?" Because if you ask the question, the answer is no. So if, if you're happy, you're too busy to ask silly questions if you're happy or not. So uh, what they meant was eudaimonia, uh, which we, a good translation would be human flourishing. But I think they meant go homestead, uh, start a family, build a home, uh, start universities and churches and schools and hospitals. And they're, and they're switching from what Locke would have had, which was simply pursuit of property, yeah, yeah. which I think is signals to us they're getting at something more. It's yep. not that property doesn't matter, right? Um, but they're recognizing there's more than simply yeah. property. It, it, participate in civic society, mm-hmm. right, which is going to involve certain property things. And in other places, they did leave uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of or life, liberty, and property in there. There was a de- And in many ways, there. our founding documents are written to protect property. Yeah, yeah. As with the Declaration of the Rights of Man, with the French Revolution, sure. property is very important in all these constitutional yeah. movements. But but there was, to move to that concept of eudaimonia, happiness, flourishing if you want, uh, away from just simply property does say something about, uh, about the, uh, the American uh, founding. Okay, so that's all fine and good. That's good. And what we, what we want is to say... Mankind has made something for more than just subsistence living. It's more than just animals fighting. We are more than tribal. There are certain inalienable rights, right? There's, they are, there are certain things that make us different that we are, you know, they don't use the word imago dei, but that's what they're after, right? Okay. And we're, and we're more than our passions. Yeah. So, um, and we're, and should be more than ourselves, Right, which comes from the Greek. So if we go then back to the Greeks, eudaimonia, or however you would like to pronounce it to make yourself feel I'm smart. I'm going to say oi-daimonia. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But partly because I was a big fan of ska back in the day, and I like, you know, the bit, oi, oi, oi. There you go, yeah. And, um, I should make a ska album <laughs> so, entitled oi 
Damania And part of the song You go Oi 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 And then everybody goes Damania Yeah that'd be good And then the horns come in <laughs> Sorry I mute myself again Mike. I'm go- doing it I mute back, myself Going back to our uh, Late co- late high school Early college days Yes Alright um, you, you know what the dancing Was calling that That we're probably not allowed To say anymore hmm. It's called midget punching Because oh. you would do this And then you would Punch down It's very insensitive I don't remember that I regret it ever being and called I that would, I would have not I would have walked out I would have heard that term. Now, eudaimonia is going to be tied to virtue because they're asking the question, what is the good life? What's the highest good? What, 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 what is it that, you know, we strive for something that's more than just survival like the animals. And so what is that? What is the highest good? And they would say the virtuous life, finally, right? And, and um, much of that comes from not contr- controlling your passions or not going too far uh, to the left or to the right. Um, moderation uh, would often be a key into that. Um, later, the Stoics are going to sort of be like, go with nature, and every time you fight against nature, that there's going to be problems. Um, what is this flourishing and, good life? And go by ahead. nature there, they don't mean, we often hear natural in our day and think animal. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone says, well, that's not natural, people are like, well, animals do it. Mm-hmm. By nature, they mean human nature. So that there, that means there's metaphysical assumptions yeah, behind is, what human nature this is, is. This is before evolution and enlightenment. We, we live in a day that is largely denied yeah. a, a such a thing as a human nature, um, anything beyond like biological definitions, which quickly become metaphysical, although they don't realize it. But. Oh, this is the frustration for the... Uh, I was talking off-air about a frustration that I'm in, and this is the key thing. We have people who are very brilliant in the hard sciences saying, I'm not a philosopher, but will make metaphysical claims, mm-hmm. and they don't know right. that they're doing it. And even saying that there is no human nature is a metaphysical claim. It is. Like, no one gets away from metaphysics, but they forget that. But I, I just say that because you, you warned properly that by happiness, we don't really mean a feeling as yeah. most people take it today. By nature, when we're talking about human flourishing is living according to nature, we don't simply mean like the kingdom of nature. Yeah. In order to live according to your nature, you have to have a view of what human nature is. We're not, we're not reducing things to feelings and instincts and stuff like right. that. Right. Okay, so... so the Greek, the highest good, you know, there, there, there's great debate, which we, we, we're not going to go into, but uh, it's going to be tied to virtue. It's going to be tied to, you know, cultivating these virtues. And virtue tied to community. Yeah. So the life of the polis, mm-hmm. right? Aristotle's kind of a political philosopher, but so is Plato. He, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he's going to write about the Republic. So... Um, it's going to be virtue is not something you have for yourself. It's what you have for life together. Yeah. And it's not quite the sacrifice of the cross. But there is a, at, least an, at least an acknowledgement that giving of yourself for others is a good thing. And, and Selfishness is a bad thing, but why? At least showing selfishness is, <laughs> yeah. Um, some of, but yes, that this, but they will sell it to you in the sense of, as much Christian, bad Christian, Christian preaching will do. I'm hearing more and more of this later. Can I, give me 30 seconds, Feist. Yeah. 
where preaching seems to boil down to trying to convince that some someone that what God wants is what's best for you, and He just wants it because it's best for you, and then the gospel just becomes a like stepping stone towards why you not breaking the commandments is what's best for you, which essentially betrays the view that preaching is an appeal to the well will and selfishness. Okay, <clears throat> but um, Aristotle and Plato will come back to, and even the Stoics, that essentially this is best for me <laughs> as well. So there is a, a self-seekingness sure. there that's going to be very different from the Christian yeah. view of self-giving. Yeah, uh, and we see this in our, in our modern-day pseudo-philosophy, psychology that people just talk about. Like, you can't give everything you have to give. You have to love yourself first. You have to take time for yourself for your first. It, this can be healthy, and that's fine. That's good right. advice. But that's much more about a... Um, that, would, that would be a very much more a, a very shallow simplistic but more going to Plato and Aristotle rather than going to Christ and the prophets. And this was, a, I think, a healthy corrective in the church that came about a while ago because you did have some generations where it was just like the pastor was just there to be worked to death and his family suffered sure. and the congregation even suffered and it was very much about the pastors just always doing, always giving. And so I think there is a healthy corrective of the, the pastor has multiple vocations and he also needs time for prayer, for study, whatever. But yeah, it sometimes gets sold in that and that's kind of morphed into now we see sometimes coming up in, in certain places in the church this almost like um, therapeutic rather than Christian um, view of this, yes, mm -hmm. and, I, and it and it is very cultural in that yeah. sense. Then. Yeah, we we again, once again, our culture does influence what we emphasize in 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 the Christian message, whether it be right being an educator and a student, whether it be in a therapist or a patient, whether it be a uh, a customer and a and a uh, vendor or something like that. Okay, from the Christian view, you can't flourish. Apart from self-giving. Yeah. Yeah. So, so eudaimonia, one word translation, happiness, but it's, it's really about the virtuous life. It's good to, to cultivate these virtues for yourself, yourself within the community. There's a certain amount of selfishness. It's not quite the, the cross, but they, they, are, they are wise enough to know, like, if you're always just about yourself, you, you're, not going to, you're not going to cultivate friendship. You're not going to cultivate the polis. Uh, there, there is something admirable about sacrifice, even a sacrifice of a life, right? There, there, are, there are these things, right? And we could go on for, for ages about the virtues and stuff like that. Um, I would say what's, lim what's, what's missing, and we shouldn't expect to find it there, but what is missing both in the Greek concept of eudaimonia and the American concept of happiness would be an undeserved thing that we would call grace. That this is something that they, this is this is this is left hand kingdom stuff. It's not going to be. This is the best, quite frankly, that the left uh, hand kingdom has to offer. So let's go back then. Uh, and I know I'm not going back chronologically, but I'm going back um, thematically. Uh, yeah, shalom, uh, and I would say that the the eudaimonia is the Greek attempt at shalom, even though probably the word eudaimonia written in the Greeks, was written before Jeremiah said shalom. Yes, but uh, the concept of shalom, I would, 
take back to Yahweh. And so what is shalom? Uh, One good way to translate shalom is the way it's supposed to be, and sin being the way it's not supposed to be. Shalom's root is whole, wholeness, wholesome, complete, the way it's supposed to be. Uh, It's often translated peace, but can it be translated prosperity? Uh, Can be translated security? Um, And so think, we've used this example before, think peace versus peace time. So peace is... Um, I don't, I don't, and by the way, Shalom did not have a concept like the Greek concept of, of, of peace, which you could use, you could use that word for inner peace, I believe, but, um, Shalom didn't have a sense of, of inner peace. That's, I don't, I don't even know if there would be a Hebrew word for, for that. It was definitely a community. Shalom was a community word. So it's not just inner peace. It's not really what it's about, although I don't think you can have true shalom unless you have peace with God. Um, it's not just a cessation of armed conflict, but it is um, something, it's peacetime. So um, I, I send my kids to school and I don't worry about sniper fire. I'm not waiting three hours in a bread line to spend $30 for a loaf of bread. Uh, the, the, the roads are and the bridges are repaired. Um, this is different than uh, perhaps Ukraine right now, which is in wartime. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to get the services that, that you'd normally depend on. So um, <clears throat> when you then think about shalom, um, I would think, um, well, what, what, what do I need for things to be the way they're supposed to be? Uh, I would say that you need a certain amount of prosperity. If, if your only job is to scrounge enough uh, aluminum cans to turn in so that you can buy... Um, uh, a hamburger from a fast food joint for you and your and your children, that's not flourishing. Sorry, I had muted myself, yeah. Michael, because I'm trying not to interrupt. And we know that. And the fact yeah. that we know that is not a bad thing. Yeah. It's good that we can recognize when life isn't as life should be. The problem comes when we begin to locate the reasons for that where they don't belong or the solutions yeah right so i may i may be living in poverty barely scraping by and then i may become a theodicist and say well god might must be mad at me but then we forget that christ himself who came to earth said the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes but the son of man has no place to lay his head and um and so uh the atheist may often use this as a sign of, well, there must not be no God. There must not be any God. Why is there poverty? Well, the fact that things as they um, aren't as they should be is a preachment in two ways, and I would say it's a law preachment. Um, first, we live in a fallen world. This is to remind us um, that this is uh, that we're the Lazarus, not the rich man. Um, but secondly, it's a law preaching in the sense of it's um, it orients us vocationally. Okay, well, then how can you? thus help your your neighbor. Um, but it's good that at a funeral you feel like the person shouldn't, like that we shouldn't die. Mm-hmm. It's good that when you see poverty you feel like we shouldn't you should not be, be poor. Yeah. yeah, it's good that when you see someone sick that you go, there shouldn't be sickness. Um, but what human flourishing helps us remind, that the fact that this is not how things should be. And we all understand it says something about us. Yeah, sorry for yeah. interrupting, but I'll, I'll mute again. But We're made for greatness. Yep. yep, and uh, uh, you can't get very far without 
talking about the image of God and human rights. So, and this is what the Bible does again and again. People are the Israelites, um, the people of Judah, are in exile or in these 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 terrible times, and the prophets say this is not how it should be, mm-hmm. and then they explain this is why it is, but then they speak the promises of of God into the midst. So I need a certain amount of prosperity. I've seen a certain amount of security, right? If I live in a war zone, I'm not going to flourish. So security is, is certainly a big deal. And, and by the way, you should be thinking in your mind as I, as I talk about these, this is why certain communities don't flourish, right? And, and there has been a beating down through generations of, 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 of people. Um, and... Sometimes with that beating down, then comes a corruption of the community itself. That not and not that um, there's there's a mix often of um, oppression and then responsibility. That things uh, and we see this. This is the story of the judges again and again. They'll be oppressed, but then at the same time, um, the people under oppression are becoming more wicked, even as they're being oppressed for being wicked, <clears throat> and. Yeah, and and we we tend to in our American political situation uh, say you're either about individual responsibility or you're about um, you know group responsibility, and um, as if both can't be true at the same time, right? And then there's lack of nuance there. Anyway, so uh, I need a certain amount of prosperity, need a certain amount of security. I would say you need a certain amount of freedom. If you're in jail, you're not you can't flourish. So you need those three components. I suppose you could add health and wellness there. So both mental health and physical health. Like clearly, you're not flourishing if if you're if you're, um, you know, or it's it's much more difficult to flourish if you are uh, disabled in some way, right? Or if you're lying in bed because you have malaria. Okay. What I would suggest, however though because we are so valuable and creating the image of God and so much different than the squirrels, that um, you need purpose, right? You need something grander. You need, some, you need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And the problem with that is that because we're creating the image of God and we should never be and will never be content with a broken world, um, the problem is is that somebody's got to clean the streets and teach the kids and not everybody gets to be quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Although after Troy Aikman, maybe. Yeah, you kind of don't want to be. After. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, you get what I'm saying. Like, so how can the vast majority of people, even in a very advanced Western civilization uh, an economy like ours, where for compared to any other time and era, th- you have a lot of choices, right? Not everybody has all the choices, but you have choices to what you want to study and what you want to become. In fact, we ingrain that in there. You can be whatever you want if you try hard enough. Um, even there, not everybody gets to be president or CEO. So how can I scratch that itch? How can I have that? Well, then it's vocation, right? The answer is vocation, that God says, I choose to need you. And what a profound thing 
that God says, I need you for this, for your neighbor. But it was also for you because you needed that sense of, of grandness, of epicness, of purpose in order to flourish. And we all can attest to this, that if you're getting up to do something you hate again and again and again, uh, that's not exactly flourishing. You're not taking pride in your work. You get into a rut. Um, you hate your job. Um, all of these things that, that we, we deal with day to day. And that's where the concept of the cross comes in. But to truly flourish, not in a eudaimonia, pursuit of happiness kind of way, but in a Christological way that you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ and the glory is flipped upside down to look like a cross, well, then, then you understand this life of suffering, even the mundane suffering, not the suffering of, oh, I lost my, I lost my, my property because I stood up for what was right, you know, like in a war zone or whatever, but, but like the suffering of like you just having to drive a half an hour in traffic every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can't imagine spirituality. And you can't afford any bike. <laughs> spirituality in the ordinary kind of thing. And so I do think vocation and flourishing then go together because A, uh, how am I going to flourish these, these things of freedom, prosperity, and security? Well, through the vocation of business people, <laughs> governments, and police, and doctors, and nurses, and teachers. But then for my own flourishing, I need to have pride and purpose. And I'm not going to truly find that outside of God calling me. Why? Because I was made for something better than a broken world. And, and here, I think it was the episode before this, maybe it was two before this is the problem with recording several in a day. Mike rightly corrected me a bit on my um, cynicism regarding talking about growth. Um, because we grew up in an age where the church was just awash with growth talk and it wasn't often um, nearly as biblical as it was cultural. Um, here, maybe, Mike, you can unpack a similar thing in this connection because you hit a word that um, I also am cynical about hearing because I grew up during the same time. And not just culturally with this, but the church became very smitten with purpose talk. But I would venture to say purpose talk that is not at all what you're talking about. Um, We had, for instance, the purpose-driven life, and then people decided to try to make Lutheran versions of that. Um, we were all about mission and vision and objectives. And and this purpose talk became a weird mix of, like, Jeremiah passages taken out of context <laughs> and business principles and, like, Oprah. Yeah. Um, what uh, what do you mean when you say their purpose? Yeah, well, speaking of Jeremiah, Jeremiah uses the word shalom for the exiles and says, Plant your vineyards and start your families there. I Put just mean that before I know the plans right. I have for you. But, but I, I think there's a connection there, right? Like, I, like it is very much, I have a, when we misuse that passage, we, we say God's got a plan for you. I, I have now uh, made, it, make it a habit and a point to say God doesn't have a plan for you as a plan for your neighbor. Now, you happen to be the neighbor in about a million other plans, Right, but this is gift for you. It's so self-centered. It's so curved inward to say God's got this special little plan for me. Um, so it's not simply I'm going to take like a gifts inventory, yeah, and then yeah. I'm going to think about my interests and yeah. aptitudes, yeah. and then somehow I'm going to figure out like this very specific reason right. 
that I'm here at. I, I remember um, when I was in Saginaw, I've probably told this story before, but I was working out at the Y because I still cared about myself. Uh-huh. And um, at that point, I'd do the cardio before lifting because I hated the cardio, so I'd get it done. And there was this girl that would be in there, young lady, college age, and uh, each time she'd like be closer to the treadmill or elliptical I was using. Um, and I'd always see people who knew me at the church and say, oh, hi, pastor, or whatever. And um, <clears throat> one day she got on the one next to me and she starts crying. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. Yeah. Like, there's this dude next to this, you know, girl on treadmill. <laughs> she's crying. Like, the optics are bad on like this. Like, what's going on? So I'm like almost afraid to ask. I'm like, should I just bail or should I ask, you know, what's wrong? So what's wrong? She said, well, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, um, my pastor told me that my purpose was to be a nurse and I'm failing out of nursing school. Mm. And I said, well, are you trying? She said, yeah, I've never tried, you know, anything harder for anything in my life. And I said, well, maybe your pastor was wrong. <laughs> and we got to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, God gives everyone different gifts and, and, we don't always get to discern. Um, we sometimes discern purposes through failure as well. But the weight that was on this poor mm. kid's conscience by being told that this specifically was her purpose detached from you know, any other yeah. I- indicator of what human flourishing would be or even neighbor, um, you know, that's the damage to me of I maybe make light of, but of some of that purpose talk that we had. Yeah. Whereas as you're getting at, if it's neighbor-focused and it's kind of brought to me, um, there's a freedom in that. Yeah, yeah like it's, it's brought to you. That's a good way to say it, and there's some freedom. Os Guinness has a great line where he says, uh, like, uh, uh, God's not this in charge of this celestial um, employment agency, right, where he's, he's trying to match up your specific, unique, you know, you little snowflake gifts. Stop it, right? Um, he's like, I need you to do this job. Yeah. And so on the flip side, maybe um, let's say that, that, that young lady had been on the treadmill next to me and, uh, and she had been crying and she said, um, my pastor told me that God has called me that my purpose is to be a mother. And she had two kids at home. Mm-hmm. Well, I would not have said, well, maybe God doesn't want you to be mm-hmm. a mother. Right. He had brought that to her. Right. I, would, I would have said instead, you're a good mother. Yeah. And she probably would have said, well, why do you think so? And I would have said, you're bearing up under the crosses of being a parent. And maybe I could have even shared, I've been there before. Mm-hmm. I've plenty of times thought, I'm a terrible dad too. Um, and there's a distinction in, in those things. And often in the purpose talk, flourishing talk that becomes divorced from neighbor, mm-hmm. Um, we become like the Pharisees or the monks who want to withdraw from the stuff that's actually been placed in our life. And so we can say, we can send away our parents away with the inheritance or send away our spouse we don't like so that we can focus on what we think is that God will want more when in fact God hasn't, hasn't given us that. He's given us the other thing. Or I'm going to work on myself. Yeah. I'm going to work on myself for a while. If we can bring it around. Yeah. So you mentioned that you talk about um, God having plans for your neighbor and that you are part of hundreds or thousands yeah. of neighbors' plans. The second phrase we had was economy of God's love. 
Yeah. Like 38 minutes. Let's try to keep it to 45. Sure. All right. But could you unpack for us what you mean then by the economy of God's love? And is it, could you identify it as being either capitalist, socialist, or communist? <laughs> well, it's a good transition. And uh, I think people maybe are thinking, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? And I'm like, but you have been given the gift of vacation, maybe. You've been given the gift of any number of things. Or take the gift. But the problem is, it's not like, oh, I need to take some time and work on me and these books. No. The problem is, is you're probably not realizing the gifts that God has been given to you. And if you are not in a position where those gifts maybe should be given to you, should's a strong word, but like you should be getting a raise or you should be giving these, you know, things, that's a that's your bosses or, or your community sinning against their vocations. And there's nothing wrong with moving on or uh, fighting against that in a certain situation. So what we're after here is this economy of love. And I use that word um, because I think it captures the idea of the connectedness, right? So if I think about a, uh, an economy, I think about all the different sectors. I think about banking. I think about manufacturing. I think about um, transit. I think about uh, um, uh, the moving of goods, I think about exchange rates, I think about all these things and how fragile our economy is that when one thing gets messed up, the whole thing can fall apart. And, um, so, you know, so interest rates, we, we care a lot about interest rates because all of a sudden everything's going to go this way or that, that kind of thing. But when you look at the word economy, uh, so it's kind of interesting, we said, I use the word economy in English and in German, they're like, I don't know what the word would be, but Economy is really a Greek word. comes from a Greek word that actually means household. Which is why I poke fun yeah. of the socialist, capitalist, yeah. communist. Because in English, economy just basically is a, a, a business system and how the market right. yeah. is doing, yeah. And or so, the lack of a market. Right. So, but, uh, and, and this makes sense because when, when Luther talks about uh, the three estates, he talks about the civil estate, the, the ecclesiastical, the church estate, but then also the economic estate. And he didn't mean what we mean today after the Industrial Revolution is you go to work. He meant the household where you worked, right? And so home and business are things where the, the line is not, is not so, so distinct. So think about a family farm or a family business. So the point here is that God is running this economy, so to speak, and everything's interconnected, right? And he's got, he's got mothers being mothers, and he's got lawyers being lawyers, and he's got bus drivers being bus drivers. And when the bus driver doesn't do what the bus driver needs to do, uh, the things can get a little bit messed up. I've been on the receiving end of that, yeah. and you can get very rained on. You can yeah. be late yeah. for a class. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if the other people who are supposed to support the bus driver... By a deranged homeless person. If the if the people who are supposed to pay and support the bus drivers don't fulfill their vocations and the bus drivers mm. go on strike. By the way, MCTS mm. needs money. Uh. We're to Milwaukee <laughs> County and the state of Wisconsin. So it's all very interconnected. And I don't. Sometimes I've I've had somebody say, "Well, that that's uh, very obvious. I don't think that's a big deal." Well, just because it's obvious doesn't mean that it's not a very big deal. And. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day about how many things still operate and go right in America in spite of like how much we've taken for granted and just how dysfunctional Mm -hmm. as communities we've become. We're really living in on the capital of the past. But when you talk to people who've come here from elsewhere 
where the basic things we take for granted aren't things to take for granted, um, they will absolutely marvel. Yeah. Um, I mean, even something like the U.S. postal system, which yeah. we give a ton of grief, most places in the world still today, to have stuff yeah. get like it gets whatever, um, to have our... Wa- here's... Little, and more than, infrastructure and then more ahead. than more than we would marvel at Germany. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> which we would, right? Back yeah. in the day when we were building water lines, right? Um, most people were in the city. That's why the city water treatment centers are usually in the, the main city. So right now in the city my roads are all torn up so we can take a water pipeline to Waukesha because we love Waukesha. Even though people move there to, to not pay the same property taxes, we want them to have water. Um, but because we had uh, an abundance of water and kind of a dense urban area where we could put in all this water infrastructure, we decided why not just have treated water come out of everything? So you can drink water, as Gen X and boomers remind younger people, out of the hose. Mm-hmm. You can drink water in the shower. You could feasibly drink water from the fire hydrant mm-hmm. where we're shooting it in mass quantities on the buildings. You could drink water, I don't recommend it, from your toilet. But we not only have easy access to water, we have drinkable water that comes out of almost everywhere there is city water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess most people probably just go oh, man, my water bill came, and it's this much for six months. You know, it's point zero 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 whatever cents. Um, in, in the grand scheme of history... This is a phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, amazing. We can heat it. Yeah. We can even heat it. Yep. And that, um, and that we've managed to keep this up, even as now we've had the growth of suburban areas and all this, and there's just water. Yeah. And we could do this with lots of things. Right. So I, I think what you're saying is um, when you start thinking about how many people have been useful to you in their vocations, the number is astronomical. Yeah, just for that over the years, for the how many people? For that to get to me. How many people? And to still get to me. And that there's no way you could, with your, with your ability and your vocations, ever repay that. Oh, and otherwise, you know what I'd be doing? I would literally be just taking buckets from Lake Michigan. Yeah. And I'd probably get sick. Yeah. You'd be in better shape. Well, I'd probably have dysentery, though. Well, the the water comes from Lake Michigan. It's pretty clear. But the water, the the dirty water also goes into Lake Michigan. That's true. That's where our overflow goes, Michael. But you'd be in good shape because you'd be hauling all that water. and then. <laughs> but you also have dysentery. Right. But then I think you'd be smart enough to like. I'd boil be ripped, it. but I'd never have clean pants. But you would, you could boil it. But you know, Trish I, is smart okay, enough. So I'm going to boil it. it. You know what I need? Gas lines. Well, no, you could you could chop down because you could chop down wood because you're so ripped now. Uh. All right, go ahead, Michael. I got us distracted. We could survive. I was this. I was using what I thought was a good, a helpful illustration for how amazing it has. Yes. Like we spray drinking water. On our flowers. Yes, yes. So this has turned into, can Wade and Mike survive the apocalypse? I can. I, I've already said many times, I'm going to die right at the beginning. I got no desire to live through it. Like the first opportunity to be the one who just yeah. takes one for the team. Yeah. If the zombies are running at us, 
I'll go. I'm, I'm going to jump in their way so that you can live through all the terrible stuff that comes after. <laughs> all right. So God's economy. Mm-hmm. I think it's a decent word. I mean, it could be misunderstood, but I think it's a decent word, especially when you understand, like Luther talked about three estates, the, the economy, and, and, and then God has this working together, and he picks us up when we mess up, which I thought was a good point that you talked about how messed up we are, and yet it still functions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Even how, through a pandemic. That's kind of how a household, a family, works, an economy works, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think... Which is very, which is very helpful to say to that young lady that you were talking to. Like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, you understand how complicated God's economy is. How many people are working for your good? And then I think you can say, God does have a plan for and you, and how He will care yep. for other people through yeah. nurses, even if you are not one. And, and let's end on this. Let's end on this. And we've talked about this a lot. And the connection is here. Because it's taken care of in vocation, because he's lifted to a high degree, there's some freedom, as Luther says, to venture all things. You can take some chances here. And I think um, human flourishing then um, does depend on us taking some chances. Having as, some confidence. Yeah. And so uh, a confidence in the right place. And so it's all coming back to God's Calling grace. confidence. It's, it's coming back to God's grace and about freedom. So in your vocation, let the bird fly. Another round, another round, another round, one more round won't get me down. 